A reading from the Gospel according to Luke chapter 6, verses 17 to 26. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. And woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. The Gospel of the Lord. I was um, practicing this week, uh, and I remember that when I first started back at Herman Church, they assigned me the college ministry, and I, I loved it, number one, because I didn't have to stand in front of people. I could sit. I could sit and, and have a little podium, and I felt so comfortable. And uh, so I figured that's what I'm going to do today. And uh, we're getting feedback. So I don't know if that's me. Put my timer on. So this morning, I'm going to do things a little different, if that's OK with you. Yeah? All right. Not too different. Uh, instead of preaching a sermon, I figured I would give you, that's really bad. Um, I'd give you an overview of today's readings of the lectionary for today and then tie it up with hopefully something we can take home. So let's start where I always love to start, which is the Old Testament. Um, and by the way, this morning I did not dress very well. I got here, I'm like, oh my goodness, I look like the Blue Man Group. I did not plan this. That's how you know you're tired. You just pick whatever's in the closet, you put it on, and you show up, and you're like, oh, geez. Anyway, we read from Jeremiah this morning. Jeremiah is a prophet, and he begins his ministry around the year 620 B.C. Uh, his uh, prophetic ministry lasts for about 40 years. Uh, if you know a little bit of uh, his, uh, history, uh, the kingdom has been divided by this time. Israel to the north, Judah to the south. Um, Judah by now has been conquered by Babylon. 
and is a tributary territory of Babylon. That means that uh, on a regular basis, they send money up to Babylon as a form of uh, protection. We all know that. Uh, a large portion of the people have been taken to Babylon as captives. And so there's really uh, very little hope for Judah, for the people of Judah, of things getting better. Uh, there's really no change coming to them. Um, however, Judah is about to face a very decisive choice. You see, uh, Babylon has also kind of taken over and destroyed Egypt. Egypt is making a little bit of a resurgence by this time. They're getting stronger and stronger and a little bolder. Um, the king of Egypt sends word to various territories, including Judah, basically saying, hey, let's make a deal. Let's form an alliance. Together, we can overthrow Babylon and get that, get that guy off our backs. Uh, Jeremiah is prophesying, basically saying, this is a horrible idea. Do not do this. Uh, Egypt is much worse than Babylon, and Babylon, as horrible as they are, as evil as they are, this is what God has designed. This is what God is allowing. Do not trust Egypt. And so we're left here with a question, will Judah and its people place their trust on this man, the king of Egypt, to save them from Babylon, or will they rely on Yahweh? to rescue them, to, to deliver them from Babylon. Uh, mind you that up to this point, Yahweh seems to have been silent. He didn't stop Babylon. He didn't stop others. Uh, and so Judah has a real choice to make here. I forgot prayer cards. Man, I always remind Kevin back there, prayer cards, and I, I forgot. If you have a prayer card, somebody will collect it or, or walk to the back and, and we'll get those. Now, remember, we're dealing with a divided kingdom. Israel to the north has already fallen to Assyria, and Assyria is evil. They are evil. They will, they will kill everything and everybody. Uh, Judah has been taken over by Babylon. Babylon is different. They don't kill you. They take you. Hope that you mingle so that you don't recognize Babylon from your territory and then you don't know who to revolt against because you've married into, your, you've, you're mixed. Um, so Jeremiah is warning both the nation and the individuals of how futile it is, as we read this morning, to trust men for protection and deliverance. And by the same token, he's, he's reminding them that those who place their trust on Yahweh are planted firm in a river of life that is not moved by, the, by what is happening around them. The king of Judah decides to form the alliance with Egypt. Babylon gets word of this. You know, they stop sending that, that payment. The king of Babylon hears this, comes down into Judah, 
and Jerusalem is utterly destroyed. The temple is burned to the ground. More people are taken captive. The king witnesses his family uh, get murdered. He loses his eyes in the event. They take his eyes, and he is taken to Babylon as a prisoner where he will die. You pee, right? This is tough because he has to face this real choice of placing trust. Who do I trust? God seems absent. God seems nowhere to be found in this moment. And here's this guy who's promising to help us, this strong man who's delivering promises left and right of protection and deliverance. What does this mean for us today, 2019? Who are the strong men and women in our around us who promise to protect and to provide. Are there places in our lives where it appears that perhaps God has abandoned us, that he hasn't been responding, that he's kind of left us to, to, to swim for ourselves? Is there a temptation to place our trust in other places or other people? See, it's easy to read and say, oh, that's, that's cool, that was, that was nice, but, but they're in this situation, and it's quiet. God really hasn't said much, and everything around you is destroyed. It's hopeless. And yet the prophet is reminding his people, do not trust in men. Stay on Stay with, with Jehovah. Stay planted like that tree that is not moved by circumstances. Let's go to Corinthians. This is Paul's letter to the church uh, in the city of Corinth. Uh, one of the issues occurring in Corinth uh, when Paul is writing is that people were being told that Christ would return within their lifetime and save them and rescue them. Uh, in addition, many are teaching that there is no resurrection of the dead. And so uh, you must be alive when Christ returns for you to be saved. Because if, you're, if you've died and there is no resurrection, then you're, you're lost. Christ cannot save you if you've already died. So you can imagine the crisis of faith that is happening in Corinth when, one, Jesus isn't cut. He's not returning. And two, people are dying. Christians are dying. And so the church is scrambling to think, oh my goodness, our loved ones are gone. They're beyond hope. They can no longer be saved. And so Paul must write to remind the believers of Corinth and give sound teaching that, one, Christ has been raised from the dead. His resurrection is then a template for what God will do to all of humanity and for creation. For those of you who are interested in the redemption of creation, I encourage you to read Romans 8. For more on that. And so Paul calls the resurrection of Jesus the first 
fruits of those who have died. First fruits was the first fruit to come from a full harvest. It was the first thing to come out, and those things were usually sacrificed. Those were, those were usually the best. They were, they were given to the Lord. They were, they were placed on an altar. And so Paul is saying that what happened to Jesus is the first thing of many, that more is coming. And so what we say is that what happened to Jesus on Easter morning will also happen to those that are in Christ. With this, we who are in Christ live as what the scholar N.T. Wright calls Easter people. People who are wide awake, firmly planted with the hope of resurrection deep in our hearts and in our being. And so we know without a doubt that God will raise us up on that last day along with all of creation. And there will be restoration when God puts all things to right. But we, we don't just go around living our lives just waiting for that day. We know that God has already started the work of restoration here and now. An easy way to learn or remind ourselves of this is now and not yet. We realize that we have already been transformed in this life. We carry with us the Holy Spirit God has placed a deposit in you and in me and made us a part of the living body of Christ here and now. And yet, we know, because we see it in ourselves, we see it in others, we know that there is evil and injustice and brokenness and pain and suffering that the work of restoration is not yet complete. And so every week we who are in Christ gather together. We sing praises. We hear the word uh, read and pro uh, proclaimed. We celebrate the Eucharist to reenact God's future arriving in our time. We encourage and we uplift and we keep God's story in front of us so that we do not fear death, so that we do not fear persecution or suffering. And each week we are blessed and we are sent with a simple blessing, a simple commission. Go from this place and continue the work of restoration. Become the people of Easter and do and partner with God in restoring his world here and now, knowing that it's also not yet complete. And so we do that through works and acts of love and compassion works of unity, inclusion, and kinship. 
And so our involvement in places like Spy or, or Habitat or even our ministries here at church when we, we um, serve coffee or, or tidy up the sanctuary, these are not just feel-good things or, hey, it's nice to do something. These are works of restoration. Finally, let's go to the gospel text. Uh, Sermon of the Mount, many sermons and homilies have been shared. I think I preached on this a few years back as well. So I'll keep this one very simple. Perhaps the wrong idea of God has taken root. Mainly that God deals with humans in a transactional way. You behave and you act right and good things will come your way. Uh, you act a fool, and you're going to experience hardship and pain. As my friend Lavelle Crawford puts it, you're going to get two chops to the throat. <laughs> Say it with me, two chops to the throat. He's a comedian. And so this type of thinking places the emphasis solely on behavior, because it's easy. It's easy just to, just to act right, but it doesn't change the heart, and it's not relationship. And so religion uses fear, shame, guilt to mold people, but it never reaches the heart, and it never displays or teaches people the true heart of God that which is love, plain, and simple. I just noticed, and I wrote it down, how the gospel started. He came down and stood at a level place. This is, this is groundbreaking for the way people saw God, because God was distant. And our job as humans was to not make him uh, ticked off at us. Right? The gospel starts by saying he came down and stood among us. It was a level place. And so I wonder if at a very simplistic level, Jesus is announcing that the old way of looking at your circumstances is wrong. That regardless of your circumstance, of the circumstance that you find yourselves in, you are never far away from God's love. You, in that place of poverty, hunger, hatred, exclusion, there is a blessing to be found simply because Christ is there with you in those places, and because of those places, they become holy ground. And you are standing there. And I think this is why we do works of mercy and works of compassion. We stand with the poor. We stand with the oppressed. We stand with the excluded. Because when we do those things, we realize that Christ is in those places. To be firmly planted in God's love, knowing who you are, God's beloved means that no circumstance can shake you or move you from that blessing. 
God is yours and you are his. Dallas Willard reminds us that we gather each week to form a community of love where we learn to put into practice the things that Jesus said as a group of disciples and we learn that we can trust love. Because that's really what I need you to take home today. To be firmly planted as Jeremiah, as the psalm, as the songs that were selected, is to live in a way that you can trust God's love for you. It's one thing to say it. Yeah, God loves me. He loves everybody. He has to love me. It's another thing to live in that trust. I was so proud of uh, Lexi uh, uh, about a week and a half, two weeks ago. I was at the supermarket, and um, I was buying uh, ramen, and I was at the Japanese market. I was just telling Bianca earlier. Um, so all I had is a picture of a brand that we bought a, you know, a few months back, and the kids loved it. Obviously, it's in Japanese, so I have no clue what it is. I'm just going by the picture. So I asked like three different people, and nobody knows where it's at. Finally, some lady's like, oh, yeah, I know. So I go to Lex, stay here. I think it's like right around the corner. And she took me to like the other side of the market. And I'm like, oh my goodness, Lexi. And so I'm like, okay, let's do this quick. Um, and I went back and she was just standing there by the cart. I'm like, Lexi, good for you. Because when I was a kid and my dad left, I freaked out. And I, I remember walking through the market and then he went back to where I was supposed to be, and he couldn't find me, and it turned into a deal. I think I got a spanking for that. And I told her, you did the right thing. You stayed where we were last together. That's how we don't get lost. And the last time that you were together was in love, that place of victory, that is the place where you were last together with God. And when we go through the valleys, that is what sustains us. That is what takes us through those dark times, knowing that God's not out there waiting for us. He's not out there saying, come on, you can do it. He goes with us. This is what Jeremiah was telling the people. God has not abandoned us. He is here with us. Do not trust Egypt. Egypt doesn't love you. Jeremiah is both a prophet of judgment but also of hope. He reminds God's people, especially those who are in captivity, and, and I'll remind you, Jeremiah himself is taken captive. So a portion of this is written while he is in Babylon, also suffering. They feel forgotten. They are in a foreign land and their home is destroyed. And to the captives, Jeremiah says, I know God has plans for us. Plans of hope and the future. God has not stopped loving us. 
It's easy to say those in the high points, but it's in those low points of life when we're going through suffering or death, illness, financial hardships, family issues. The Corinthians were facing death and they were utterly afraid of it. And Paul says, God has not abandoned you guys. He has raised his son from the, de- from the dead. He's going to raise you as well. To those around him, Jesus tells him, your circumstances do not equate your belovedness. You are blessed always and in all things. And so the story of God is this story of unending love, always pursuing, always restoring not stopping until all things have been put to right. Do we trust that love? That's, that's the work. That's the work. Do I trust that love? Of course, I'm going to read from Tattoos of the Heart. You guys know me by now. If you haven't read this book, come see me. This is Father Boyle. But in this place of which you say it is a waste. So often that's how darkness feels and that's how those low moments feel. There will be heard again the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness. The voices of those who sing. And so the margins, sorry, and so the voices at the margins get heard. And the circle of compassion widens. Souls feeling their worth, refusing to forget that we belong to each other. No bullet can pierce this. You can substitute bullet for your situation. But the vision still has its time. And yes, it presses on to fulfillment. It will not disappoint. And yet, if it delays, we can surely wait for it. God's love you can trust even though it may seem that it's taking forever, that it's not here. God is yours and you are his.